Hello out there, I'm Will. And I'm Whitney. And you're listening to Yelling About Superheroes. This is episode three, Runaways. We'll be talking about both the comics and the Hulu series, discussing adaptation differences, family relationships, and the amazingness of Molly Hayes slash Hernandez, among other things. And to mark Infinity War's upcoming release, we'll have a special segment at the end, so stay tuned. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Yelling About Superheroes, where we haven't done much actual yelling so far, but I suspect that'll change at some point, probably around Infinity War Hey there, folks. Yeah. Yeah, this is our uh, last episode before Infinity War. We're recording this pretty well in advance. Yeah, Um, like in March, so... Today we're going to be talking about uh, The Runaways, both the comics and the show version, sort of, I guess, comparing and contrasting them mostly. Yeah, Um, some comparing, some just discussing of the overall concept. And I'll tell you right now, this is going to include spoilers from the first season of The Runaways show on Hulu, as well as the original 2003-2004 Runaways comic series. That first 18-issue series from 2003 to 2004. Yeah, okay, 18 issues. The space that we're covering. So yeah, no, if you have not read or con- or just otherwise consumed that media and you don't want spoilers, I advise you to stop listening now. If you have or you just don't give a thing about spoilers, then go right ahead. Um, and I'll tell you right now that there are separate spoilers between the show and the comics. They do not follow the same story. If you've only seen one... Uh, you might want to consider seeing the other. They're both actually pretty good. Yeah, they're they're both really interesting. So we're mostly going to be talking about that, but we have another uh, special surprise at the end that we'll elaborate on later, so keep listening. So, okay. Um, actually, maybe we should... Okay, we should edit in a note here. So where do you want to start with the Runaways? Well, let's start with, like, who they are, the general concept. Yeah, because they're um, not, like, so... as well-known as, like, the Avengers or something. They're not as culturally ubiquitous as them. Yeah, so for yeah. those of you who are listening and don't know about the Runaways... But don't care about don't spoilers. Care about spoilers <laughs> yeah. Hello? The Runaways are another teen superhero team. They're not exactly the usual group of, like, sidekicks who form a group the basic concept um and the way it's advertised honestly in a lot of the comic and show is like every teenager thinks their parents are evil but what if they actually were yeah i personally thought the way they wrote the tagline in the posters was a little clumsy but that's just that's just me but yeah no that's the basic concept of it of course in the show i feel like they give that a more nuanced treatment than they do in the comics. Slightly, they do. We'll, slightly. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, the main six runaways that the show features and that the comics uh, start with, Alex Wilder. Who has no superpowers, but is just kind of a tactical genius and stuff. Yep. And there's Nico Minoru, who has a staff that is actually magic in the comics, super advanced science that is basically magic in the show. <laughs> um, there is Chase Stein, who is the son of super geniuses. And in the comics, isn't really a super genius. It's different in the show. But I think the comics develop him a little more in that okay, direction. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, right. that makes sense. Yeah, he's like the jock character very much, and in the comics he's much more of that like archetype, but we can talk about the differences between comics chase and show chase later. Yep, and there is Carolina Dean, daughter of actors in the comics. In the show, there are also actors, but they run this weird little cult 
Yep. There's Gertrude Yorks, or, or just Gert. Yeah. Who also has no superpowers, but has psychic control of a velociraptor from some... Isn't Old Lace from the future? In the comic, she's from the future. In the show, she's just bioengineered. Right, right, right. I remember now. I remember now. So yeah, getting to control a dinosaur is pretty freaking cool and something five-year-old me would have died to have, honestly. Yep. And then the number six rounding out the group, Molly Hayes or Molly Hernandez. Yeah, comics and show, respectively. And she is super strong in the comics. It's because she's a mutant in the show. It's because of... Well, that's kind of spoiler reasons, which we don't care about. We're covering spoilers anyway. In the <laughs> show, it's because of a magical meteorite thing that explodes. Yeah, so that's the Runaways team in both the comics and the show, although comics has some modifications, as we mentioned. And all of their parents are part of an organization referred to as the Pride. Which, who... like, I'm very gay insulted by that. Yeah, I, I never <laughs> made that connection. but No, I made that connection right away. Yeah, and for slightly different reasons in the show versus the comics, they're basically various geniuses and celebrities and community leaders and stuff who are all secretly part of this little cult type thing. Different from the one the deans run. Yeah, different but related. A cult that abducts runaways. Not these runaways, but runaways. And kills them for... Some larger nefarious purpose. Yeah. The kids uh, find out about this and they're like, oh God, what is going on? Are our parents legitimately like Hellspawn or something? Yeah. And and this is about where it starts to like diverge between the comics and the show. Yeah. Because in the comics, they pretty much go rogue almost immediately. Yeah. Like the first few issues, I don't remember how long it takes in terms of the number of issues, but it follows them through like an entire like sleepless night of flitting between people's houses and like discovering their superpowers and stuff like that. Like all this stuff is unfolding in the course of one night, which just sounds exhausting. Yeah. It was like one or two nights total. Their parents all discover that they've found them out and they all go and gather up the various gadgets and superpower related stuff that they all end up using like over the course of the series. So in the show they take like much longer to do that. And I think that's really like for the benefit in the show. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. Because then you get all this tense drama stuff going on where all the kids are like running around behind their parents backs and the parents are kind of slowly finding out that their uh, secrets are starting to come loose yeah and it's the parents come across as really one-dimensional for a really long time in the comics they do get a little bit more depth towards the end of this like pride storyline but they're really like flat characters for a while. They're more like, you know, stereotypical parents of teenagers. They're, they're much more of a stereotype in the comics. And then the show actually gives these actors a lot of really nuanced material to work with. Yeah, the parents in the show, they're both a lot more sympathetic because to some extent they're not necessarily willingly... Well, they were sort of pulled into the whole thing unwittingly in some cases, even though they went along with it. And they're still committing these terrible, evil things. But it sort of shows them being a little more reasonable and humanized about it. Yeah, and like, you kind of get to see more of the ripple effects of their 
facade on everything like the city of Los Angeles and their kids as well. Cause you get, the show gets to focus more on like the outward face of pride. Like they're uh, about to break ground for some community school or another day. They do a bunch of like charitable events and stuff like that. So, I mean, in the comics, it's very much like the kids try to go to the police and then, oh shit, it turns out the police is in their pockets and stuff like that. You, and that sort of still happens in the show, but it happens differently and it's less of a yeah, the, more of just yeah, no, the police thing is not the only moment when you really see the massive influence that the parents have on LA society, which I think makes them a lot more frightening and formidable as villains, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And the biggest part is the deans run oh God, yeah. the cult of the Gaborim. It's a church The of church Gaborim. of the Gaborim, which is basically a cult with just weird practices that we yeah, see. Yeah, you know they're a cult because they have like super suspicious vans. Yeah, and we <laughs> see early on that they're taking people off the street with the idea of helping them, but end up like sacrificing at least some of them to their whole weird cult thing going on. Yeah, the first teenager I believe that we meet in the show, even before any of the kids, is actually the girl who ends up murdered in the eventual. Do they call it the rite of blood in the show too? I don't think so. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I didn't think so. I thought that was a comics thing rather than a show thing. But anyway, yeah. this girl gets murdered, and she's the first teenager we meet in the show. Destiny um, Gonzalez, her name uh, was. Yeah. The actress who played her was really good. She was super convincing. I liked her a lot. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but... Because in the comics, they She's only... She's a throwaway they, character. Yeah, she really is such a throwaway character. But in the show, because Destiny is the first one we meet, we almost like are encouraged to bond with her right away. And then it's that much more horrifying for like us as viewers, especially when she's killed. Oh, and she also makes that appearance in the beginning of the pilot episode as well, talking to Carolina's mom, who's like, this is really interesting to me. Carolina's mom, um, Leslie Dean, who I don't know in the show, is she also a former actress or is it just Frank, her husband? In the show, I don't remember. In the show, I feel like she was basically just a cult leader from the beginning. But yeah, it's so... Yeah, she was working with uh, Jonah. Oh my god. Freaking Jonah. Oh my god, I want to punch him. But anyway, um, the fact that like she is very much the, I think to a degree, feared and respected leader of this entire cult thing. Like, yes, Jonah, the um, mysterious Jonah, is the sort of driving force behind it. But as far as the public knows, like, she is the leader. And that's so interesting to me because, okay, so I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? And I spent my childhood hearing about, and I'm not kidding you, this is his real name, Oral Roberts. But he was a really, um, really well-known evangelist. And in the Church of Gaborim, I see so many parallels with the exact sort of evangelism that like the recently deceased Billy Graham and I think Joel Osteen as well, and Oral Roberts as well, the kind of evangelism and sort of um, almost cult-like church structure that they sort of propagated. I see a lot of parallels to that, but evangelism, at least in the hands of these men, I have plenty of evangelical Christian friends who really value women in leadership positions in the church. Like this is not necessarily me reflecting on every single evangelical Christian, but as a movement, it has a long history of sexism, just like women barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen or whatever. So it's, I don't know, that's just really interesting to me that Leslie is such a prominent leader figure in her own right, even 
without pride, honestly. she's She has got her own mm. thing, more so than any of the other members of the pride, really. And that's just, that's so fascinating to me. She's evil, sure, yes. She's like very much on the side of, not the angels, but is it weird that that's kind of gratifying in a sense? I think it's a little bit weird, but I also understand <laughs> where you're coming from with it. Yeah, you know, yeah. The whole Gaborim thing in the show kind of, seems to parallel a cult like Scientology to me more than it parallels anything evangelical. Yeah, that's but, that's true. Yeah, but it is still interesting that like this oddball religious group seems to be at least forward thinking. I don't know. I haven't read that much about Scientology, but I feel like sexism in the movement is one of its the many things that people have like called it out for. So I mean, Yeah, again, and that's, it's anyway. a really it is a really interesting like inversion of a lot of tropes there. And I in a weird way I really do like that. It's another way in which okay. the show is giving the parents a lot more depth than they got in the comics. And the fact that they chose to do so specifically for Leslie by making her this charismatic religious leader is a role that would very typically go to men. That's a super cool writing choice, if you ask me. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's her being in that position is kind of just a byproduct of her relationship with Jonah, who was clearly some alien or mutant type thing. Yeah, the show doesn't really establish what he is per yeah. se. I think that'll be for like season two or just other future seasons. Yeah, in the comics, the Deans are both aliens and Carolina inherits their powers. In the show, the Deans are human, but Carolina's real dad is a figure named Jonah. Yep. And Jonah does have Carolina's powers. Yeah, and interestingly, Frank Dean um, is complicit in the comics, but he's actually initially excluded um, from the pride goings on in the show. They yeah. set it up like he's the uh, only one of the parents who's not the secret asshole, but then he turns out to be the biggest asshole of all. So oh my god, absolutely, absolutely. That was an interesting little zigzag. I think we're kind of hard-pressed to say, like, who's the least asshole-ish out of... Okay, Janet Stein, I think, is the least asshole-ish out of all of them. Janet Stein is... Almost seems more of like a victim of the whole thing than anything else. Oh, 100%. Like, and that's... Victor Stein is a lot, is pretty oh abusive in all of them, and especially that's... in the show. Yeah, no, exactly. That's something else the writers really took time to explore in the show. I was actually shocked to see this in the show because I feel like this doesn't get talked about very often. They didn't call it this by name in terms of a psychological dissection of what was going on, but they very much addressed the sort of cycle of abuse in the sense that Victor would have moments when he was not a raging jerk. Like when he and Chase were working on- The Fistagons. Yeah, the Fistagons, which actually Chase had the idea for, if I'm remembering correctly. Like yeah, he was trying yeah. to design them. Yeah, and when they were um, like working on those together, Victor was genuinely interested in what Chase had going on. If you hadn't seen like all the abusive, horrible shit going yeah, on, and if they Yeah, and if they hadn't alluded to that before, I think they didn't really show they definitely a super show, amount of violence. They definitely until... show some abuse before that. Enough that you can tell that that's what's going on. Yeah, I think it had been more alluded to, but I do see your point. So yeah, yeah, and then it's like, you know, that much more devastating when, you know, it turns out that the interest that Victor showed and the moments in which he wasn't a jerk weren't actually a sign of, you know, personal growth in any way. And he, he punches Chase, if I'm remembering correctly. He also uses the fistagons oh on my, him. Oh God, I forgot about that. 
It's, oh my God. it's the worst. It like, really is. It's that much more devastating. And like, they, I think they also, no, it's Chase who specifically says this when he's arguing with Victor. It's like, I think he literally calls it a cycle. Like, you know, every so often you won't yeah. be a jerk. I don't remember his exact words, but, and then you just go back to the same old stuff over and over and over again. And I can't remember a time when I really saw abuse discussed as a cycle in the media. And that was another like writing choice that felt really calling it innovative feels like taking it too lightly almost, but at least accurate to yeah, what happens. Exactly accurate. It's actually exploring the things that weren't really done justice in the comics because they did allude yeah. to that. And I like after seeing the show, reading the comics, I was actually really disappointed in the way in which they handled that the whole aspect of things in the comics, like comics chase just mentions offhand, like, oh yeah, my dad beats me or whatever, or has beaten me before. And I was just like, that was it. Yeah. Honestly, like I really enjoyed the comics. I first read them a long time ago and I read like past the original run that we're discussing here among like most of the other runaways comics mm-hmm. since then. I think honestly, like going back, I was watching this show and I enjoyed it, but there's always the thought in the back of your head that, oh, the book was better, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest, I think the show is actually better, at least in this particular like yeah. story arc. Yeah. No, I think the show had some pacing problems. Like the, the last episode of the first season felt really slow and like didn't feel like yeah, a good enough climax at all. Definitely stuff but... that gets dragged out and the ending is ultimately a little bit disappointing. I think they're building up for a better uh, I would agree with that. Um, I forget, has it been renewed for a second season? I'm pretty sure it has. I was going to say, I feel like I remember reading about that. Yeah. Okay, Um, so I think we've talked enough about the parents because we really should be focusing on the kids here because... That's true, because they're the actual runaways. And because they are the best. Yes, they are. Molly is wonderful, like both in the comics and in the show. She is... Princess powerful. She's precious. I adore her. And normally children make me extremely uncomfortable, but like I would adopt Molly in a heartbeat. Yeah. Molly is the youngest of the group in both versions, but she is older. Um, Ever so slightly. She's like, yeah, she's 11. She's 11 in the comics Mm -hmm. and 14 in the show. It kind of starts out like, oh, she's getting cramps and stuff. And then she's in the school (laughs) nurse's office and she like grabs the bench and just bends it with her bare hands. Yeah, like her powers. You know, I feel like that's actually, I think that's as much of an allusion to the mutant thing as they could possibly get away with on the show. Because in the original, like, X-Men lore, didn't it say that, like, mutant powers first manifested themselves at puberty? They generally do. And we see Molly's, in both cases, Molly's powers first manifest during the course of the story. Yeah, definitely. Like, the second time she does a... um super thing as when she pushes that car right and she was having cramps before that am i right i think so i don't know it's yeah, been, it's been a of, while since we binge watched the show the yeah show. and she kind of tests her powers and stuff by pushing cars yeah um, in the garage it's a whole fun yeah thing. which that's another thing i really love i'm just realizing so many things that i love about the writing choices on this show honestly can you name even one other show where they actually discuss periods Maybe Broad City. I haven't watched Broad City yet. That's not really a thing that happens a lot, is it? It doesn't come up a lot. I feel like it definitely comes up. It would definitely come up, though, if you're looking at shows that are about teenage girls at that particular point. I don't know. Point. Maybe, maybe less than you might think. I don't know. That's something we can look up later. I, but I don't watch a lot of those shows. Yeah, no. And again, I just don't think it's something that happens often. And I really love that they like went there with yeah. that. Yeah, another mm-hmm. cool thing I think that the show does that the comics do not is that Molly and Gert are 
sisters, essentially. Yeah, Gert's family, the Yorkses. The Yorks. They adopted Molly when her parents perished in some mysterious accident. What, what was the official explanation on the show? I don't remember. I don't remember either, but it was written off as an accident. Uh, of course it wasn't, because that's reality, too big of a Chekhov's gun to... Yeah, and in reality, they were murdered by mm-hmm. Leslie Dean, under orders from Jonah. Yep. Yeah, um, and that's one of the major ways the family dynamics are shifted. Yeah, definitely. The I'm... other one being the addition of Nico Minoru's older sister. Yeah, who is non-existent in the comics, so far as I know. Yeah, there was no Amy Minoru. It was Amy, right? Yeah, it was Amy. There was no Amy Minoru in the comics. Um, she was a deceased daughter of the Minorus, who was best friends with Alex uh, before the show started. Mm-hmm. And... Over the course of the show, it's like an interesting source of tension for Nico and for Alex. And it also turns out to be like part of the overall pride conspiracy. She was probably murdered by Jonah. Yeah, I think they outright say in the show, right, that Jonah murdered Amy because she found out about pride stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out why the writers would have added that. Like what sort of larger thematic purpose that would have served. For adding Amy to the show? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like a source of conflict between the kids on one hand, and it's also one way that it makes the parents, I think, more sympathetic, especially like the Minorus. Tita Minoru is probably one of the less sympathetic members of the Pride for most of the show, but I think mm-hmm. her learning that her daughter was murdered and her whole reaction to yeah. that makes sense. Well, I mean, regardless more... of, like, even in the earlier parts of the show, she's very obviously still grieving in her own way. So I would argue that actually makes her sympathetic from the beginning. I guess so. She's like very cold outwardly, but I see what you're saying there. Yeah, and that's the, AB's death definitely drove a wedge between her and, oh my God, what's um, what's the dad's name? I don't remember. Oh crap. Yeah, I I don't remember either. It's fine. We're not talking as much about the parents anymore anyway, right? Alex Wilder's dad has eyebrows in the show too. <laughs> yeah, that was something we noticed like right away in the comics is that um, the artist drew Alex's dad, um, Jeffrey Wilder, like completely without eyebrows. It made some close-up panels look extremely strange. Yeah, of um, course we also read it on Marvel Unlimited, blown up on my TV, which is <laughs> not exactly yeah. how that art was originally meant to be viewed. No, definitely not. So where should we... Okay, no, I just had, I actually just had a thought about um, the whole Amy thing. I wonder if I would have to like go back and watch the show more, but I think there's an interesting parallel between Amy and Nico as like sisters and Gert and Molly. Like, I hmm. wonder if there are any narrative parallels there. Like, yeah, they, it's the we group loses get... one pair of sister, one sister, but gains another pair of sisters in a sense. Maybe it's weird because we don't actually get very much of. Amy and Nico's relationship. That's like, right. We, really we see don't. a flashback of her interacting with Alex. We we also see Nico's reactions, like her whole grieving process and stuff, mm-hmm. and how they're dealing with um, Amy's death in various ways. But we don't really see what Nico and Amy's relationship was like in any flashbacks or direct discussion or anything. Yeah, that's a really good point. That is something I wish we had gotten more of, and I hope we get in season two. So I know in season two, I ho- also hope they don't go with the really stupid code names. This is just like such a waste. 
I don't except, think so. Honestly, except I do want Molly to call herself Princess Powerful. I need that. Yeah, besides Princess Powerful, like all of the runaways in the comics give themselves nicknames. And they're besides, terrible. Yeah, besides Alex, Gert calls herself Arsenic and the Dinosaur Old Lace. Well, the dinosaur, old, old Lace is good. The Dinosaur is still called Old Lace in the show, too. Yeah, which is good. Um, Chase is called Talkback. Talk, which is dumb. By various people. Uh, Nico is called Sister Grimm. Which is which actually good. I don't I don't hate that one. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Oh my god, Carolina is like... Carolina is Lucy in the sky. Which is like, that's... Her rainbow alien self. That's even more syllables than her normal name. What yeah, the heck? That I don't think, makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a cute idea, but it's... Yeah, it gets so old after a while, honestly. I mean, they abandoned those names in the comics too. Perhaps. Yeah, but like by the end of what we what we read together, they abandoned those. So yeah, but, yeah no, Molly, they can leave those in the comics as far as I'm concerned. Yes, and Molly calls herself Princess Powerful, which is the uh, best nickname for the best person. Really is. She is just the best. Like she's she's fantastic. Like she's just the best. I don't know any other way to put it because I feel like I keep repeating myself. Um, this is now a Molly Hayes, Molly Hernandez fan podcast. <laughs> Basically. Seriously. Not All that right. the others aren't great too. Like I actually, I was actually surprised at how well Greg Sulkin handled Chase. They gave him a lot of material to work with and I think he really pulled off the... Yeah, Chase is really good in the show. Yeah, he really is. I really appreciate he's not, Yeah, he's not bad anymore. in the comics. Yeah, he but... gets less like hang 10, bro. He's very much like a surfer bro in the comics. Almost yeah. like he has that shaggy haircut and it's weird. I feel like the comics ended up being a little bit early 2000s dated. Oh god, yes. Yeah. Which is, I think, inevitable when you're yeah. focusing on teenagers anyway. Yeah. But, but yeah, no. So like, I think a side effect of um, the show exploring the whole like Stein family dynamic more was that Chase got a lot more to work with. Like Greg Salkin had to really sell Chase's mixed feelings about his father, which is like a completely like normal, like psychological ripple effect of abuse. When Victor starts being not a jerk, of course, you know, you might hope and as Chase does that this is where things turn around. And then of course things don't. And I think he really did a good job selling that. I think they gave him like a lot of yeah. really emotionally nuanced material to work with. And I think he did yeah. a really good job with that. I was, I was I impressed. Agree. I agree. Yeah. I think there's him. Um... Yeah. He's, he's good in the show. Like I really do appreciate him that more after reading the comics. Also, Carolina, we need to talk about Carolina because she's... Yes. Carolina I, is... I, okay, I wrote this note in the episode outline that we're going off, and it literally just says Carolina is the gayest homosexual to ever lesbian. Well, Which you know. is not, like, the only interesting part of her character arc in the show. It's great. She sees two girls kissing and, and then turns into a rainbow. You can't get gayer than that. You really just can't. It would be so hard to top that. It really would be. Yeah. I feel like in the show, they also do a lot with having her like crisis of faith, I guess. Yeah, with exactly. With the church as well. Yeah, She's... no, that's a really good ripple effect of like sort of inventing the church of Gaborim because that's the Gaborim are a thing in the comics. They're like weird giant six-toed ape-like things. But yeah. the church is, I think, very much an invention of the show. Definitely. Yeah, they really, I think, explored the almost pastor's daughter archetype with Carolina, like super well actually yeah. now that I'm thinking about it and they really do make a lot of her like losing her faith I don't know I just don't remember seeing a lot of similar arcs in other like shows or movies before and I think that's I think that's really cool there's some interesting stuff there with her uh was it her grandfather or her uncle as well who doesn't show up in the show but was the person who actually founded that church initially I think it was her grandfather Leslie's mother that would make yeah, sense yeah yeah 
And they have Carolina is, in the comics, she's very much the L.A. airhead archetype, almost. She's yeah, not that makes really, sense. Yeah, she's not really an airhead, but she's, you know, you attractive know, blonde California daughter. girl, yeah. Yeah, attractive blonde daughter of two here. actors. Yeah. They're playing in a completely different trope sandbox with her, almost, but it's so down. good. Like, it's yeah. really interesting. I found it extremely compelling, and Jenny Gardner definitely pulled it off. Yeah, because, like, in the school and stuff early on, she's basically mocked for being part of this cult, and even, like, being a one of the public faces of it really as oh yeah definitely really interesting that leslie very consciously uses her as the public face of the church because nowadays actually churches have had lots of problems retaining millennial audiences there have been multiple you know thing pieces written on that so it's really interesting that leslie is very purposely cultivating that audience by trying to use carolina as a relatable figure so that's that's in a really interesting way in which it diverges from a lot of evangelical culture. And you see, like, as the illusion kind of starts breaking, Carolina, like, first, I guess, tries to find some degree of understanding or comfort in her religious, like, text and stuff from the Church of Gaborim at first. Yeah, you know, I'd forgotten about that. And she doesn't really find it. And she also has, in both the comics and the show, she has a bracelet that suppresses her powers. Mm-hmm. Um, in the comics, it's just this allergy alert bracelet, which doesn't really have any significant emotional impact or anything. But in the You're show... right. It does have a lot more oomph in the show. Yeah, because it's like this weird relic of her particular religious thing going yeah, on. Yeah, and like when um, you see Destiny wearing the bracelets, well, you say, I think you see Leslie wearing one. So like every single member of the Church of Gaborum has this bracelet thing. And only for Carolina... Is it a way of suppressing her powers? Okay, so the crisis of faith thing and the gay thing, I think, kind of connect in a wonderful symbolic way when she takes a bracelet off. Because when she takes a bracelet off, she becomes a literal rainbow, which, as we've already established, is kind of the gayest superpower you could possibly give a canon lesbian. It's amazing. I like it a lot. I'm just realizing a lot of this stuff as we're talking about it. I'm like, dang, this show was written a lot better than I initially thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, so, so anyway, Carolina cool. is amazing and super gay and oh my god, and she and Nico get to be like super gay at each other. Okay, to be fair, we don't know how Nico identifies and Carolina has not actually said the word lesbian in the show, which season two, get on that. A lesbian is not a dirty word. Yeah, Nico, Anyways. I feel like is characterized pretty much as bi in the comics because she has a legitimate relationship with Alex in the comics that they're both clearly yeah. into. I think Nico is probably going to turn out to be bi or pan or something. But again, I wish they would actually say the words instead of making her somebody who doesn't like labels. There are enough of those characters out there. And yeah. it is not yeah. something I like. I see where you're going from. Yeah. I see where you're with that. So that's in great. Sh- and in the show, Nico has a sort of relationship with Alex, but it doesn't. It, she's it's a lot of like it. weird sexual tension. I think Alex was a little more into that than I Nico agree, was. I agree. And um. in the comics, they both definitely care about each other but then alex oh yeah turns out to to, this part but then alex turns out to have betrayed the entire group to the pride yeah with comics alex to be clear not show alex this is probably i think probably the biggest difference between the show and the comics absolutely yeah alex is loyal to the runaways in the show it's pretty clear there's not a mole of any kind no they would have seeded that definitely yeah yeah because like we see all the parents doing their own things with no sign of any mole type thing. But uh-huh. 
In the comics, they set it up that there's a mole in the group, and it turns out to be Alex at the climax of that first series who betrays the Runaways and parts of the Pride, because at that point, the Pride is all tur- turning against each other as well. Yeah, um, and I feel and like then, they're a lot more unified in the... They don't like each other, so it's, it's a really interesting little like suburban tiff sort yeah, of there's a lot thing. Of, there's definitely a lot of tension between different members of the Pride yeah. in this show, but they end up kind of finding common ground among wanting their kids to be safe. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, whereas in the comics, it basically turns into like each of the couples in the Pride is teaming up with maybe one other couple to try to kill the others so that they and their kids can get pulled into the Gaborim's paradise. Because in the comics, the Gaborim monster giants that the Pride work for are planning to destroy humanity and create a new paradise world into which only six people will be allowed. Yeah. And the Pride, various parts of the Pride are planning to kill other parts of the Pride to get into this paradise with yeah. the children. And that's another fairly big like structural difference between the comics and the show. Like Jonah is the main sort of force behind things rather than the Gaborim. And while we knew the Gaborim's endgame, we don't really know Jonah's yeah. endgame. Like all we I really mean, know is that beneath the site for this community school, Pride is supposedly trying to build, there's some like, is it the meteorite that's under that school? Like the meteorite that gave Molly her powers? Yeah, I believe like whatever um, that meteorite thing that the Hernandezes had is part of or is related to whatever they're drilling for in the show. Yeah, that and I, that's right, yeah. like heavily implied that it's alive or something. Right. Yes. But we haven't yet gotten to find out what that is. Yeah. And I feel like season that's just two. because season two. Yeah, and I think that's just because this is something that's going to be continuing on into the yeah. next season of the show. Yeah, absolutely. So this is another way in which I like the show better than comics. I do like that Alex is he okay within the show itself. He never has to like be redeemed. But on a meta level, it feels like adapting the character in this particular way did sort of redeem him. I think it's a more compelling group dynamic as well. Because like on a couple occasions in the show, people are like, oh, Alex has no superpowers. you got to make sure he doesn't get hurt. I feel like he ends up being blander than the rest of the characters because of that. But he is definitely like well-developed. He's not like just yeah. a token normal human yeah. guy. And something interesting is they do, I feel like they almost allude to the mole thing in a way because they have Alex contacting one of his dad's former friends. And side note, I really don't know how I feel about the writers inventing this like weird gang backstory for Jeffrey Wilder. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think there are other- In the comics that it's kind of a similar backstory to him there. I don't know. I just feel like there are less like stereotypical, vaguely, racist things they could have done with that i'm not too fond of that is one writing choice i'm not fond of Um, i do see what you're saying but i but alex like almost alex getting in contact with the former friend of his dad who his dad screwed over that feels like a nod to the whole thing because he does call the guy privately on a payphone like he privately gets in contact with yeah they definitely set it up so that if you're familiar with that bit of the whole alex betrayal thing then it feels like you're kind of geared up for like is is this something like this again no but it's it's very much has the opposite effect of like solidifying the fact that alex is so disillusioned with his dad that there's no way he's gonna be loyal to his dad going forward i think Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So I want to give a shout out to Gert just for 
Ian. Uh, Amazing. Gert's great. I love how the show gives her the older sister role for Molly. I enjoy her social justice shenanigans. Yeah, I do feel like the social justice bits were written by somebody whose exposure to actual social justice movements has just been limited to Tumblr stereotypes. I do feel like that was the case a lot of the time. But thankfully, I they didn't like that. belabor that point a lot, so I'm able to let it slide mostly. Yeah, but and she yeah. ends up like even dropping out of that group. Yeah, and that felt when, once weird. the runaways. Yeah, and the members confronting her felt weirdly catty. I did not really like that moment at all. I don't know. It seemed. It felt like a bit where they're trying to just do like. Oh, high school drama, but they and don't really stupidly stereotypical. Yeah, instead. but at that point, nobody cares about the high school drama. Yeah, definitely. Like you know, give me the superhero conspiracy nonsense. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and her and Chase get <gasps> yes. the whole thing going. They're which, they're yeah. cute and bad at communicating. They're terrible communicators. Yeah, it happens in the show and the comics in different ways. Mm-hmm. I think the show does it a little bit better, but yeah, I would I would agree with that. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where the show goes in the future. I am hoping, honestly, that they do get a Zavin as a character. Oh my god, yeah. In the comics, Zavin is a Skrull who is a shape-shifting alien from the Marvel Universe. Shape-shifting and therefore gender fluid, which is cool. Yeah, which isn't necessarily typical of Skrulls, but Zavin, I think, primarily takes a female form when they're with the Runaways, primarily because that's what Carolina prefers. Yeah. And like, they end up having this whole relationship thing, which I would remember better if I read the comics more <laughs> Yeah, recently. that's fine. So, yeah, I feel like that's a good like stopping point. So now it's time for that super special thing we mentioned at the very beginning of the episode. The um, incredible, amazing, giant-sized, what are some other comics, like, overblown adjectives that you can think of? Stupendous. Stupendous. Fantastic, definitely. You've never seen this before. The Fantasy Fantasy Avengers! Avengers. So there are a ton of characters in Infinity War, right? It's gonna be a mess. So the way in which we're going to handle this is we are going to pick fantasy Avengers teams. We've divided, I believe, either 30 or 32 characters. I don't remember quite how many, but it doesn't matter, into four different brackets. We've got the OG Avengers circa 2012. We've got the new Avengers circa 2015, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then other Phase 2 MCU characters. And we're going to flip a coin and... We are limited in each bracket to half the available characters. So like one of us can't just like stack our deck with OG Avengers or whatever. We're limited to nine characters overall, just in the interest of not having unmanageably large teams. And so we have these four groups and we flip a coin starting with each group. Whoever wins the coin flip picks first and then we alternate picks until one of us decides they don't want any more from that group. Or we run out of characters to pick. Yeah, and then the other one picks up to half of the characters if they want that many in their group. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we assemble a total group of nine characters. Yeah, in the interest of just not having to juggle a lot of characters, because what's going to happen next in next week's episode, our reaction episode to Infinity War, 
we are going to talk about Infinity War by arguing which of our teams won. No points, no metrics, no nothing. Just like pure old fashioned, whose line is it anyway, style arguing. Welcome to the Avengers where the points are made up and nothing matters. It's gonna be great. We're really yes. excited for this. This is inspired by fantasy football by two nerds who have never done anything related to fantasy football and have no idea how it works. Yeah, basically. I, I have like the vaguest idea of how it works, and I don't really care to find out any more than that. So yeah, shall we get started? Well, we'll we're starting with the original Avengers, basically the six Avengers from the original film, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Hawkeye, Black Widow, with the additions of Nick Fury as the guy who brought them together. And Loki as the main villain of the movie. and Yeah, it was just the most expedient to put the two of them there. Yeah, so let's divvy up the OG Avengers first. Can you flip a coin? I Not incredibly mega well. Actually, do you want to do dice instead? That's probably a good idea. So Will has procured a D10 die. I don't know, does it really matter? We can just like pick odd or even. Do you really care? I'll pick even. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Right, and so let's roll for original Avengers. For picking first. Oh my god. One, you pick first. Okay. I gotta go for my man Captain America. I have to do him first. Freezing. I am, I am loyal. Oh my god! Oh no, oh no. Wow. That was completely unintentional, Mom, if you're listening to this. So yeah, you go next, Will. Yeah, alright. You know what? I'm gonna go with Thor here. Because Damn it, he after, was on my list. Too. After Ragnarok, I feel like Thor's going to be on an upward trend here. I, I can see that. So I'm going to go next then and pick the Hulk. The Hulk. Mm-hmm. See, we both, we both liked Ragnarok. We both think that the Ragnarok bros are going to be... Yeah. Yeah. And just in names. terms of like Hulk being so powerful that not even Iron Man in Hulkbuster armor could really stop him effectively... I, I feel okay. like Infinity War involves villains that are a step up from Hulkbuster armor. But, but still, I, I still, do, you see my point. I think Hulk stands a good chance of smashing. Yeah, now you pick. And I'm going to pick Nick Fury. I totally figured you were going to pick him. I just had a feeling about that. Because I think he's been out of the picture for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be cool. I think he's going to do some cool stuff when he comes back. Okay. Then in that case, I am going to pick Black Widow. Cool. Yep. That I'm, surprised me relatively little. I was going to say, I am nothing if not loyal to... Actually, I won't say that because I don't want to like give my choices away and make, give you an opportunity to sabotage me, which I don't think you're above doing that, honestly. So you, ne- you go next. Yeah. Um, you know what? I think I'm done here. Okay, so it stands at, you have two, I have three. So just to recap, I've got Cap, Hulk, and Black Widow, and Will has Thor and Nick Fury. So let's go on to the new Avengers. Yeah, and before we pick them, I feel like we can give a little bit of context in that I am deliberately avoiding any and all spoilers for Infinity War. Right, yes. I have seen no trailers. I have seen one preview image by accident. How was that by accident again? It was on this post at work on the company blog and stuff. Oh my god, you're, you're right. You messaged me about that. I remember that now. Yeah, so I have no idea what's coming in these trailers. Yeah, and honestly, Whitney has like, some idea, I believe. Uh, it's been, a, it's been a while since I've seen the trailer. I think the last time I actually 
Because the Infinity War trailer was not actually in front of Black Panther, I don't think I've actually seen the Infinity War trailer since like it dropped in uh, December. So I don't have very much idea of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, we're, I'm going into this marginally less um, ignorant than he is, but only somewhat. So um, are we ready to pick from the new Avengers? And our options here are Scarlet Witch, Vision, Falcon, and War Machine. So I can roll this time. It's tense. Odd again. Another one, which I guess means you pick first again. Okay, so I am going to, I'm gonna pick Scarlet Witch. Cool. Probably the most powerful individual on the Avengers team overall, at least. Yeah, definitely picked her because of that. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She's pretty cool. Honestly, I've gone into this with very little planning, so... <laughs> See, I went into this with quite a lot of planning. I literally picked out my um, dream lineup and alternates this afternoon. Yeah. I can see you, like, vacillating on the Google Docs screen. It's hilarious. Yeah, I like... I really like Vision, um, but at the same time, the fact that he has one of the Infinity Stones in his forehead makes me less than optimistic for what's going to happen to him. Oh, that's a good point. Falcon and War Machine, I like both of, but I feel like they're not really going to be center stage here. I mean, and I don't know if I want to split up Vision and Scarlet Witch on the separate teams because they already got that in Civil War. They... We're we're only doing this like metatextually, metaphorically, so I don't think it matters that much. Yeah, I like Vision, so I'm going to pick Vision. I knew you would. I also guessed who you would pick. I've been right about most of them so far. <laughs> This is so much fun. I'm yes, having so much fun I can tell because this. after every time I pick something, you say, I knew you would. Anyway. Anyway, I'm going to pick my boy Falcon. I am very loyal to... Your boy Falcon. Yeah. All right. You're getting most of the cap team so far. I mean, yeah, 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 definitely. And so you pick next. What's your move? Uh, well, War Machine is the only one left in the new Avengers. And Rhodey, I love you, but... I'm going to pass on this one right now. Okay. So as it currently stands, I have five people and you have three. I do only have three. I have been playing things a little bit conservatively, I guess. I suspected you would. There are two... Plenty of characters left to go. Yeah, two more brackets. There's two more groups and they're both pretty big. And I feel like I'm going to pick up some more in the Guardians of the Galaxy No, definitely. Phase. So yeah, that's what's next. The Guardians of the Galaxy. So we've got Peter Quill, Gamora. Okay, Star-Lord. Uh, who calls him Star-Lord, honestly? Me? So we've got Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, Groot, Mantis, Nebula, and the guy who gets Yondu's fin, who Will was looking this up just now, and apparently his name is Kraglin. Yep. Which, he's a cool guy. He's a pretty cool guy. He is Kraglin Obfunteri. Honestly, we added him so that the Gardens of the Galaxy would have an even number of members. Yeah. But because of the way we ended up deciding on their rules, we don't necessarily need an even amount. He's on the Guardians he's now. He's a contender. He's, he's a contender. He's a contender. I yep. don't think any of us are going to pick him, but he's there. Fair. So do you want to roll to see who picks first in this round? Yes, let's do that. All right. Eight. Oh, so you pick first this I time. I pick first, and I'm going to pick I am Groot. I knew you would. Picking. I said it again. But I really did suspect he would pick Groot. Yeah, and also shout out to the fact that James Gunn mentioned that oh my Groot God. in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is not yet full grown. There is a distinct possibility that Groot is going to be huge in Infinity War, or at least pretty big. We'll see. I may be totally just talking junk here. I haven't seen the trailers. I don't know if he's shown up in any of them. I d I, and I don't remember. So yeah, I'm next. I'm gonna pick Gamora. As suspected. 
Like Black Widow and Space Black Widow. That's fair. But like my reasoning there is I almost went for Nebula, but I'm like, since Nebula was an antagonist, I feel like she would be more likely to be one of the casualties. Nebula is one of the other daughters of Thanos, so you can't forget that. That's true. But Which I also I, feel that's like... That's going to give her a big role in Infinity War, I think. Well, yeah, but I also feel like people doing evil stuff would put you at something of a disadvantage and like that you'd have to argue that... I don't know. Whatever. We're going to make this whole argument up as we go after we see Infinity War. But anyway, I'm picking Gamora and a story. Who's your next pick? Well, I hate to split up the set, so I'm going to add Rocket. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, I'm actually going to not pick any more of these people. Mm. So we have remaining Peter Quill, Drax, Mantis, Nebula, and Kraglin. Yeah, and you could pick up to two more of them if you want. I have one, two, three, four, five. You've got right five, now. and we have four. You have four more to pick. I have three more. And the last group contains ten characters. Oh, it does contain ten. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But you know what? I'm using a little bit of a comics background knowledge here. That's fine. When That's fine. I pick Nebula. Okay. Because That's interesting. I wasn't anticipating that. I wasn't really planning on it either until just now, but partly, Shouldn't have explained my reasoning. Yeah. Partly because she is daughter of Thanos, and I feel like that means that Infinity War is gonna give her a big role. But also partly because in the original Infinity Gauntlet storyline, or a related one, Nebula is the one who actually gets the gauntlet back from Thanos and undoes everything that he did. Oh, shit. I'm kind of regretting my choices right now, but it's okay. It's all in the past. We've done our... We've picked our things. Yeah. So, and for the record, I don't think Infinity War will do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I really doubt it'll as, rehash the same I mean, I don't think it'll line. do anything that the comics did. They'll do particular scenes, but not like overall major plots. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to pick another Guardian of the Galaxy or are you done? Nope. I'm going to save my last three picks for the final round. Okay. I'm done. So shall we roll for the last group, the phase two MCU characters? And first, let's check. You have... I have six. Yeah. You have picked six and mm-hmm. I have picked six. I th- yeah. You've picked six by now because you did pick Yes. Nebula. I've picked six. Okay. So we each have three left. Um, From this other phase three MCU characters. No, phase two, right? Phase three is no, about phase, to take off. No. Oh. Phase three is between uh, Civil War and Infinity War. Phase oh. two was... After Avengers. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Phasing is weird. Marvel's weird. Anyway. So. Each phase um, ends at one of the Avengers movies, basically. Okay. That makes sense. So basically our lineup, the remaining pick of characters we have, we've got Black Panther, Ant-Man, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Nakia, Okoye, Shuri, Valkyrie, Wasp, and Bucky. We added a fair bit of Black Panther characters. Because they're amazing. Because and Black we Panther love them. was awesome. Yes, it was. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I don't know if I would have added Nakia and Okoye I mean, I think they'll be in Infinity War, but I don't think they're going to have significant roles in it. I mean, but, you know, we'll they're, see. They're pretty we'll cool. And- so, um, whose turn is it to roll for Phase 2 slash 3 characters? I think it's your turn, because I rolled okay. the... Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, rolled odd again. Third one. So I think um, I knew who you're going for first. I'm going to go for Valkyrie first. Uh, yep, I knew it. Yeah. Because Valkyrie's great, and Tessa Thompson is great, and mm-hmm. Paul Ragnarok was great. Mm-hmm. Have you guys have you guys figured it out yet? We both really like Ragnarok. So, and I bet I know who you're going to pick first. Man, Do I? I am a little bit leaning towards Black Panther just because it's a reason that it was really good. And for the same reason, a little bit towards Shuri. And I also think that those are going to be your next two also. But you know what? I'm going to go with, right now, my boy Spider-Man. Yeah, see, loyalties run deep. I'm going to snap Shuri up before you have an opportunity to because she's precious and I love her to death. 
that's understandable. Now he has, let's see, Black Panther, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Bucky, Doctor Strange, and Nakia and Okoye. Yeah, that's who he's got left. I can pick from one of those. Yeah, I'm going to put Black Panther on my uh, I thought you side would. now. I thought you would. Um, I feel like I'm cheating because I'm taking characters who've had lead title roles. I mean, we set out the rules of the game. We knew what we were getting into. That's true. Um, and this is going to be my last pick. I'm sentimental as hell. I'm going to go for Bucky. Ah, the White Wolf. The what now? That's what the kids called him at the end of Black Panther. <gasps> right, I forgot about that. Aw, that's sweet. So who's your last pick? My last pick, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Nakia, Okoye, or Wasp. I'm kind of vacillating between Doctor Strange and Wasp, honestly. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange, because he is probably one of the single most powerful people on the entire list, just because of all his like magical capabilities. Yeah, and I mean, objectively, I knew that, but I also have an intense grudge against Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent, so I'm just yeah. like, I can't. And then there's also the Wasp who is going to be showing up in Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, just afterwards. And now that I think about it, I don't even know whether she's in Infinity War I don't all. remember. So, and even if she were, I wouldn't tell you, because you want to avoid, like, Infinity War stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. Because, like, we haven't even seen her in costume yet, and she's the only one of these characters who's only shown up as the civilian identity. Yeah, as of yet. She's been in costume in the Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go with Doctor Strange. Just I thought if you I would. knew that Wasp was in Infinity War, I think I would pick Wasp because that would be her like superhero version debut. And I think that would be pretty big. Yeah, that's uh, understandable. But as it is, I don't want to pick Wasp and then have Wasp and not show up at all. That makes sense. So yeah, just to recap, the teams are, I've got Cap, Hulk, Black Widow, Scarlet Witch, Falcon, Gamora, Shuri, Valkyrie, and Bucky. And Will, you have... I have Thor, Nick Fury, The Vision, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Nebula, Black Panther, Spider-Man, and Doctor Strange. These are really good lineups. I'm excited for... I would, how this is going to turn out. I would read a book with any of these lineups. Honestly, seriously, yes. This and, is going to be good. Yeah. And just for posterity's sake, the ones that have been unpicked are Iron Man, Tony Stark, sad. <laughs> he could suck it. Hawkeye, who, you know, he's great. <laughs> I like Hawkeye. Loki was unpicked, despite both of us, I think, having some appreciation for him. For just like his power set. He'd better get um, help. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. And War Machine. Sorry, Rhodey. Yeah. Drax and oh, Mantis. Peter Quill did not go picked either. And Peter Quill and Kraglin. And in the last group, unpicked, we have Ant-Man, Nakia, Okoye, and the Wasp. Right. So that pretty much does it for this round of Fantasy Avengers. Tune in next time to hear us just argue ferociously about which side won. It's amazing. So that's pretty much it, right? I think it is. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. I'm going to throw out a couple of predictions about Infinity War based on not having seen literally none of it. I'm going to guess there will be a hint about Nova from the Nova Corps, like Richard mm-hmm. Rider or something, but not necessarily showing him in a significant role. And I'm going to hazard a guess that I actually know that Mbaku is in it. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe we didn't was... put him on there. Ugh. We could have, but I mean, neither of us picked Nakia or Okoye either. And I feel like we would have picked either of them before him. I feel yeah, like may- he's going to be maybe. just as a... Uh, he's going to be a scene stealer. It'll be amazing. Just like he was in Black Panther. I feel like he's going to show up only once, but it'll be cool. Yeah. It'll be like the Avengers equivalent of the uh, scene between Frozone and his wife in The Incredibles. 
Oh my god. Oh yes. my god. Oh my god. Now that I've said that, I really need that to be the case. That'd be I pretty think good. we should wrap it up now. I would agree. Yeah. So otherwise we're just gonna like get carried away and it's gonna be ridiculous. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Tune in next week when we decide who won after Infinity War happens. Yep. That's it for this episode of Yelling About Superheroes. For more yelling, you can follow us on Twitter at Yellen. ABT Supers, or check out our website at anger.fm slash yelling dash about dash superheroes. You can also visit my blog at whitneythompson.wordpress.com where we post our reading lists for each episode. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and we'll love it if you leave us a review as well. Our theme music was composed by Rodrigo Vicente and you can listen to more of his work at hooksounds.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.